Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete hosted by me, Emma Gannon. I interview creatives about their art and we also talk a lot about the internet on this podcast. I'm very excited to announce that I've been shortlisted for a Webby Award, which if you don't know what the Webbies are, they're sort of been heralded as the Oscars of the internet. I've kept my eye on the Webbies for years. I always follow the nominees and just think it's an amazing um, awards to be a part of so if you want to go and vote for me because there's a people's choice award and you sort of have to rally around getting votes for that so I think I'm currently in second place behind a podcast by New York Public Radio so I would really I would so appreciate it if you voted for me in that you just go to the Webby Awards and um, go and vote and I think you can search for control alt delete so Thought I'd give that a shout out on here to try and hopefully get some more votes as well. Um, So today's guest I'm really excited about is Clover Stroud. She is a journalist and an author and her book, The Wild Other, is my favourite memoir from last year. It is incredible. It is a memoir that stays with you so long after you've read it. It's warm. It's sad. I mean, it's incredibly moving in parts. It's hopeful as well. And it's a story of an amazing woman, Clover, who has many adventures in her life growing up and also a huge tragedy that she deals with throughout the book. Just to sum it up, um, Clover had a very idyllic childhood in uh, the rural countryside, but her life really fell apart when she was 16 when her mother, after a horrific riding accident, was left permanently brain damaged. And it's a story of how their family kind of dealt with that and how Clover grew up dealing with something like that happening to her and I'm just so excited to have her on the podcast because she's really someone who is so articulate and warm and just such a brilliant person to talk to and um, we met at Hodder which is her publisher and also my publisher now actually Um, and we got chatting um, a lot and then when I pressed record we sort of just went straight into it so we really really go go in to the big topics straight away and we talk about everything um it's a memoir of travel and adventure she travels to ireland she travels to texas she goes to russia um it's amazing it's it's kind of like a memoir of many many different parts so hope you enjoy this episode and i hope you grab a copy of the wild other which is out now in paperback and um there's a picture of clover as a young girl on a horse on the cover and um, you should definitely pick up a copy. So I'll stop rambling now, and thank you again for tuning in. As always, here it is. Well, I'm so excited to be joined by Clover Stroud, who has the coolest name in the world, by the way. I do want to talk to you about your book, mm. your incredible book. I loved it so much. Thank I'm such you. a fan of your Thank writing. You so much. I wanted to ask you, because of the subject matter, and obviously it's about something that happened to you when you were quite, well, very young, mm. 16, 16 is a young yes. time. And you, and this took over such a big part of your life, and obviously it's still a huge part of your life. Mm. How do you know, as a writer, but also just as someone dealing with that, when do you know is the right time to write this book? 
Absolutely. No, it's a really, that is a really, really important question. And it was a really important part of the creative process, in a way, as to when I could write it. The book was inspired by, my mother had this horrific riding accident when I was 16. And um, when, and, and she lived in a very, very disabled state until she died in 2013. So it was 22 years. And I um, lived through this, this um, the kind of aftermath of her accident and the um, trajectory of grief, I suppose, that it sent me um, through, living, living through this sense of grief. But um, I only kind of knew that I could write about it after my mother had died. I, I had written about her in different forms as a journalist um, before her death. And I knew that there was a story that I wanted to explore in kind of longer form. I knew that I wanted to write about her. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write about what had happened. Um, but when she was alive, the pain of living with her accident, I suppose, and she was she couldn't look after herself at all. She couldn't communicate. She couldn't walk. Um, she couldn't talk or write at all. So it was extremely, extremely painful, um, you know, continually really for 22 years and the sense of that sense of pain and the sense of guilt that you feel that it's happened to her and and that you know that I could just go off and live my life and she was in a nursing home was was very very intense and very cute to live with but when she died I certainly felt um, that I had been sort of living in this state of kind of suspended grief I suppose just as she had been living in a state of sort of suspended life in death Mm. Um, and her death allowed me to see what had happened as a trajectory rather than this kind of endless ongoing pain there Mm. was finally an end to it Um, and that coincided with me moving um, from Oxford out into Oxfordshire to um, a village court near Uffington where there's an incredible chalk horse on the hill mm. and I kind of saw this as an emblem of the different adventures I'd had um, after mum's accident and it was pertinent because her accident had been a riding accident as well so the horse became kind of like mm. a central theme a central emblem and obviously lots of the adventures that I write about were on horses or horses were used as mm. a passport into kind of wilder and wilder worlds. You really get to know who you were like your childhood seems so full of kind of adventure and, and people and craziness mm. and it's mm. kind of interesting that you have four children five children five children yeah. <laughs> do you think that's a thing that when you grow up with like a kind of a busy household you then kind of recreate that I definitely think that I had a craving for that I mean I was one of those kids who wanted to have a baby when I was really young and a friend who I knew at university said oh, I just remember you lying on a bed saying oh, I just really really want to have a baby so I always wanted to have kids I wanted to have a big family but I had my first two children in my 20s so by the time I was about 27 I um, and then I got divorced so I was a single mum to like a newborn baby and a toddler mm-hmm. by about 27 28 and I thought I wouldn't have more and then I met my second husband and we started having more and somebody said yeah but you could just have could just have had one more baby but we went on and had three more and I do love that I really like a big messy difficult I suppose adventurous life and having our fifth certainly felt like taking myself to kind of an extremity of motherhood I suppose mm. um four was sort of symmetrical I had two boys and two girls and I wanted to I wanted to mess it up a bit and I wanted to um I did want to create something of the home that I'd had, which had been really, really happy and kind of idyllic, basically, until mum's accident. I think I've seen a photo, and I don't know where, but it might have been on Instagram, and there's just, like, this 
this horse walking through the kitchen. Oh, yeah, that's home I think now. It, yeah. so, I mean, it is really lovely, and I definitely do, for the children, so they're ranging from one years old to my eldest is nearly 18. And um, I am trying to, as, you know, lots of parents, lots of mothers are doing, is trying to create whatever it is, little kind of snapshots and memories which might link you strongly back to your own childhood. Mm -hmm. And ponies were a really important part of my life when I was growing up. Um, I grew up in a kind of big, quite bohemian family in Wiltshire, and there were always ponies around. And so it's sort of... I mean, I had a period, which I write about in the book, in my 30s, of doing lots of journalism. I was living in Oxford. I didn't have ponies, didn't want horses, didn't want any of that. Mm. And then when I had my second lot of kids, it's like my third, fourth and fifth, it was almost as though the past kind of comes rushing back at you and I couldn't really resist it. And I knew that I had to move out to the country and somehow find a way of bringing these ponies into the children's lives. So we have this little Shetland pony who, you know, who the children kind of ride around the <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> and uh, I hope that they remember that, you know, as a happy, as a happy memory yeah. or just a very kind of grubby, uh, chaotic memory probably. <laughs> I love how you <clears throat> write so honestly about motherhood in the book. Mm. I think I, it's a while since I read it, but I... Remember, it's in the opening chapter you're quite honest about mm. sort of motherhood and also sort of how it can affect your mental health. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, I'll, you know, open the book and then I'll, I'll, tr I'll talk about that later on. It was quite, it's quite a dramatic start. Yes. And, um, and I thought, how brilliant that so many people are talking so openly about motherhood now. I feel like it's, it seems the norm now. Yes. But actually yeah. for so long, no one spoke about that stuff, it seemed. I think that's absolutely true and I think that it was, it's kind of one of the things that make, I mean everyone knows that labour can be very very painful and difficult and long and bloody and, and undignified and you scream and holler and, and then you have the baby and you kind of imagine, you know, if you go to mother care or something like that, which you probably will before you have a baby at some point or other, you imagine it's going to be all kind of little scented Moses baskets and sweet little soft newborns, which of course it is, but I actually found, particularly my middle children, that I was hit by um, really, really strong postnatal depression and that the kind of emotional torrent of motherhood, or the energy of it, is at times um, very kind of violent in its extremities the the power of it and it can be extremely frightening mm -hmm. and it can be um kind of you know pretty deranging really and i felt with my my third and my fourth that i was i really felt like i was losing my mind and i didn't expect that to happen because having had two children in my 20s i kind of thought i'd breeze through it it'd be absolutely fine mm -hmm. but i think that when you become a mother you are i was certainly maybe in my 20s i you know, life for me in my 20s, I was married to a guy who was an alcoholic and we didn't have any money. Life was fairly chaotic and all over the place anyway. And I think when I had children in my 30s, I thought oh, it's, it is going to be the kind of motherhood, the, you know, the mother care dream, as it were. And it was, um, my domestic setup is very happy. I'm very happily married. But the, um, the kind of emotions of it were frightening. And I think that that a lot of that is about um, being really brought up very, very sort of, you know, close to memories of the kind of mothering that you've had. And I, the mothering that I'd had was completely wonderful, but I felt this sort of grave sense of responsibility to provide the children with that same sense of love and security. And I still feel it now, that sort of 
you know, I'm responsible for making these these children happy. Mm -hmm. These, let alone sort of well balanced and educated and with a good sense of who they are. But their sort of their happiness um, and to provide them with the texture of their memories that just felt like such a mm. sort of solemn responsibility I suppose. God that's so true because you think back to the memories you have and, and how they shape you and you just want you want to pass that on yes. those like magical moments. And, yes. But I, I was wondering when you were actually writing the book when you were mm. like in the thick of it and obviously when you see it on a shelf looking all beautiful people don't realise like how hard it is to mm. write um, about your own life in that way. Were you kind of, did you just make sure that you weren't censoring yourself when you were writing it? You, we, was there any moments of like, oh, so-and-so might read this or my kids might read this one day or did that really happen in that way? Like, of how was course it? that, when you're writing a memoir, um, of course that that has to be part of the process. You have to be aware of who's going to read it and who your reader might be and their reactions to it. You have to be sensitive to that. But I was also aware that... Um, I'm not a private person at all. I love sharing and I love intimacy with, with other women. And I love, um, I mean, with men as well, but I love the kind of female friendships. And I love meeting women and talking to them about, where, you know, why their lives work and what they enjoy, why they, you know, what's happening in their relationship, whether they're having sex with their husband, how many kids they've got, how they manage it all. I'm fascinated by that. And in the book, I wanted to write about all of that and so the book is very much, um, well I mean I talk about what happened to my mum but I also go right to the kind of extremes I suppose with what was happening to me as well and my reaction to grief I suppose was, and also to being in my 20s let's face it, it wasn't just a, you know, just about grief but I went into kind of quite a wild place, I suppose. So I write about, I mean, I don't hold back at all about writing about drug taking or sex or difficult relationships or the end of my um, marriage to my first husband because I felt like I kind of, I certainly, I owed it to myself if I was going to sit down and spend, you know, hours and hours, as you know, hours and mm. hours and hours and days writing a book. I needed to kind of explore everything, but also I owed it to the reader I don't like it when you read things and you know somebody's there's something that is being held back. Mm -hmm. Just as I want to know with my best friends, I want to know everything. In a way, when I read, if you read a confessional memoir, you want you want it all to be in there. Mm -hmm. um, and I found it quite exhilarating as well, kind of taking my mind right back and sitting with kind of memory and silence um, and nostalgia and pain and shame and all the things that you feel when you look back at your life. Mm -hmm. And trying to craft it into something that that you know had a meaning, and that I was, I think that I'm I'm proud of as well. You know mm. that I I I do, I do like the product that I've created. Yes. I suppose, um, and also because what had happened to Mum, you know, she had acute brain damage, and she was in this state for 22 years. It wasn't a moderate thing, and it wasn't a, you know, it's almost as though death would have been a more moderate thing to have happened when someone is left with very very bad brain damage it's it's it is a i mean from my experience is that it's a much worse experience mm. than her death i suppose and it completely shattered this very very big loving idyllic um family life and childhood that i'd had so i i i couldn't i couldn't write about any of that in anything other than in quite an extreme way um and that you know there are writers that i really admire um I, you know, I was reading bits of Wild when I was writing it. I was looking, you know, and you kind of, um, 
there are people who 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 have done that kind of confessional writing but done it beautifully hopefully because obviously there are other forms of confessional writing which I'm not so keen on mm. but if you can do it with real heart and real integrity yeah. um then then I don't you know I I think it is well yeah as I say I think I I felt like I owed it to myself and and to the reader and hopefully mm-hmm. hopefully it has worked oh my god it it's it's beautiful <laughs> and you know it's it's about so many things that's what I loved about it it's and all it's almost hard to describe when I'm recommending it to people I'm just like you have to read it because you, it's it's about so many different sides of of you it, it, you've taken so many different places yeah. and that's why I feel like people probably do know feel like they know you yes the ongoing sense of mum's life of what she was going through but I'm really pleased that you say there are lots of different sides to it because that's what I that's what I really wanted it to be about as well in just the same way that you know your own life is coloured with lots of different shades and people say well what is the wild other and I love the idea that it's you know it's kind of anything you sort of want it to be and in the book it could be um it could be grief and dealing with trauma it could be motherhood it could be adventure it could be kind of hedonism and drug taking Mm -hmm. it could be travel um it could be sex you know it Mm -hmm. it could be landscape and hope and one of the great things about um instagram actually i mean i've had such good feedback on instagram of people saying I loved it because um, it made me think about my own mum who died when I was a child. Or I loved it because, um, you know, I had incredible travel to India in my 20s mm-hmm. and it reminded me of that. Or I loved it because I grew up near that part of the countryside and it spoke to me in that way. And that's really, really lovely, hearing that people kind of put their own interpretation on mm-hmm. it, I suppose. You're so good in the book as well, just summing up nature and how you feel and painting a picture of... And I guess that's what novelists are so good at as well as you're kind of there. You really capture an atmosphere and I grew up in the countryside as well and whilst I was reading it I was like, oh, I just want to go home because oh, it was sort of, um, I missed that, you know, those walks and like yeah. fresh air. And, yeah. and also I loved as well about the book how much, you know, this isn't, it's really uplifting actually, especially when you get towards the end in terms of how much you've grown and how much strength you have. And also I guess as someone who hasn't actually ever ridden a horse really the fact that you get back on and mm. you ride and mm. and actually as a reader you think well that's that is so inspiring because you could have never wanted to go back on mm. a horse after mm. that well I suppose I I think I I love I mean I think it's I love the idea that people might read it and say which they have said to me on on social media people said you know it made me want to kind of face my fears a bit I suppose and one of the things that people said to me is well why you know, why did you go and get back onto a horse after my mum had had this riding accident? But for me, it sort of seemed as if uh, getting back onto the horse was the way of facing down the accident, I suppose, and facing down this... For for a long time, I felt like I was living with, alongside this idea of trauma as a kind of kinetic demon, you know, a force that was living beside me all the time, in a way a bit like you know people who which is something that I do but when you suffer from anxiety it's like your anxiety almost becomes a creature that is beside you um separate from you but absolutely sort of hovering around your head like a moth or something and getting back onto a horse was a way of kind of going to you know into battle with this idea of trauma and anxiety Mm -hmm. and um and what you do with all that energy I suppose 
and um and i had you know I, and also it was it was exciting and fun and i had some fantastic adventures i went and um live with new age travelers i mean i was born in the 70s so it was it was in mum's accent was in the um 90s in the early 90s so the rave scene mm. was really really big and uh you know the whole kind of new age traveler scene and um i went off with new age travelers and and lived with them and and went raving and was also kind of buying and selling horses at the same time do you look back on that time <laughs> and think kind of i'm so glad i did that like because obviously yes you know like in cheryl strade's memoir wild mm. you know she's really promiscuous she does all these things mm. and obviously you know one night stands never feel great but but I look back at some of my like kind of bad times Mm. really I think oh I'm so glad you did that I'm so glad you got that out of your system oh definitely definitely I think that um I think it's the the most important thing is to go out and do stuff and take the risks actually and and put yourself in harm's way actually and I was talking to my son this afternoon who's 18 and a friend of his and saying they were on their computer and I was saying, shut your computer, go out and do something. Just go and do, go and go up onto the Ridgeway and go camping. Go and go and do something and feel life and feel sort of excited by it and feel its danger and feel its thrill. And, and yeah, put yourself in harm's way and, and take the risks. And, I mean, I certainly don't, and I've written about this in the book, you know, I was have been through quite promiscuous stages. I don't have any regrets for any of that because it kind of, um, you know, puts you, it makes you who you are today, mm-hmm. but also it is life experience and that's exciting. And even the, you know, the things that go wrong do teach you so much yeah and um and to be a writer you have to have stuff to write about you have to have it's stuff to kind write of about it's, yes. i mean you must have felt like did you feel overwhelmed when you sat down to start this because there is i guess it's just there's so much in it and, and mm. like we were saying mm. so many different themes it's like it's like lots of mini memoirs in one did you ever did you how did you structure it like were you just like this is going to go where it's going to go or no i because i'd sort of done 15 years of journalism so i knew that it had to have quite a clear structure and also i'd written in my 30s i'd kind of attempted to write two novels and one of them was about which weren't published but one of them was about the time that i spent in texas when i went off and kind of had a one-way ticket to America and got on a greyhound bus and traveled across america and had this idea that i really I had a kind of fantasy about cowboys, basically, <laughs> and wanting to find out if they were real. And and um, so I went to Texas and kind of talked my way onto a ranch where I worked as a cowgirl. And I knew that was a really strong story that I really, really wanted to write about because it was all about the kind of really sexy cowboys and being out on the ranch in the dust and going to rodeos and honky tonks. And that all, that actually could have been a mem- that whole thing yeah, could have been yeah. could have been. Um, a memoir in itself but because I wanted there to be I wanted there to be you know the ending I suppose with which is what happened you know with my mum and kind of Mm -hmm. coming to terms with that and how we process grief and how we process trauma um, that I plotted it I mean plotted but I kind of worked it through quite carefully and obviously when you write a memoir you don't put absolutely ever you can't put every single thing that's ever happened to you in it you have to leave some bits out of it it would be like 600 pages long, yeah. longer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I went to university, and I think being at university was about three lines. It was just literally half a paragraph. Mm. Um, but the bits, I guess you choose the bits which feel most formative, but also most vivid. When I was writing it, 
I was very, very much seeing what I was writing about as kind of strong visual images mm -hmm. in my mind as well. Mm -hmm. And because of doing journalism, I also had lots and lots of notebooks, which had particularly for the Texan bit. And also when I was in Russia, so I had this boyfriend who was a Cossack who worked on... My sister's got a circus, and he'd come over to England, and I went back, kind of followed him back to the Caucasus Mountains. And it was really wild, and it was um, quite criminal and quite mafioso and quite dangerous, I suppose, but I was very, very drawn to mm -hmm. that, kind of the edges, I suppose, of mm -hmm. places at that time in my early 30s but when I was there I, I actually couldn't speak Russian when I was going over there so I, I used to spend all this time with him and all his friends and lots of kind of men in leather jackets with Kalashnikovs up mountains and stuff but I would be they would be having long conversations and drinking bottles of vodka and beside campfires and I would just be writing and writing and writing but I couldn't really you know I couldn't speak to them um I could speak to my boyfriend in a very kind of broken, <laughs> broken sort of um, you know sign language, and but it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't as though I could have conversations in Russian. So it gave me masses and masses of time yeah. to write it. And when I came to writing the book, I found all these notebooks and I found all the books that I wrote when I was in Texas. Because when I was in Texas, I thought this is beautiful and it's fantastic and I love the way that people spoke it was so lyrical and funny the cowboys were so funny mm -hmm. so I wrote lots of it down you know maybe with an idea of using it one day but I didn't know it was going to be right. in a memoir like that oh that's so interesting <laughs> thank god you did in a way because then it was like quite fresh and quite yeah no yeah. definitely because just trying to remember it mm. I mean it's incredible what you can remember if you sit in silence for a prolonged period of time and you have some photographs did and you, you talk to anyone in your family I mean I sort of fell in love with Rick a bit like <laughs> I mean just the way you speak about him in the book but also I think you did um there was an interview in the times as well when you oh when yeah you we guys, did relative I mean, values yeah I know yes. that's kind of ed very edited down but um your relationship is seems so lovely and yes. I want I would just wondered if you spoke you know, got stories via your family as well? Or? I talked um, I talked to Rick a bit. I mean, it was funny because he was writing a book at the same time, so we were kind of like... Oh, my God. ...neck and neck all the <laughs> way <writers>. through. <laughs> um, and he would, you know, we'd speak most days and he'd say, what have you been writing about? And we'd talk about it a bit, but it kind of has to be your own... Um, your own if for me it had to be my own memories, I suppose. And that felt quite important and that gave it a kind of authenticity I hope and mm. and and sort of sense of it being coming absolutely right from my heart because I know that I am definitely someone who feels things very 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 acutely and very very deeply and in a way in my writing what I'm trying to do is like channel that intense feeling onto the page in a kind of you know lyrical readable mm. way um but it was also a real joy to be able to think about my mum mm -hmm. and kind of think deeply about what I remembered about her and the things that really made her who she was. And she, so, so I was 16 when she had the accident and she couldn't talk after that. So I'd ne I hadn't heard her voice. You know, I haven't, I haven't heard her voice since, since I was 16. And trying to remember, trying to conjure up um, the feeling of being with her and what we would have spoken about and, and mm. what she would have talked about. And also then it makes you very much reflect on, you know, how you as a woman, how I as a woman sort of compared to her mm. or how I mothered compared to her. So it was a very profound experience, a very, very profound experience writing about her. 
do you get many people sort of writing in about their own grief? I mean, because yes. I feel like it can be quite, quite triggering as well. I've, yes, I've heard, definitely. especially when people write about mental health. I found, um, when I've done events actually, and I found it incredibly, um, you know, wonderful and flattering and consoling when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I share this experience with a you know parent who had a brain hemorrhage or who died of cancer or something like that. Um, and I think it's, I mean, that's the kind of biggest privilege as a human being really is to share you know something that has changed your life and mm -hmm. affected you very very deeply um, and been acutely painful I suppose as well I guess if there were thousands you know if it was in huge huge quantities it would it might become overwhelming but I've really really enjoyed talking mm -hmm. to people about stuff that they've gone through and people who read it say I mean, the reactions that I've had are people people saying it really, really spoke to me. You know, it really, really held me. It really, really got me. It really reminded me of something or made me think about something. And that feels. I mean, I just feel. I feel really grateful to have to have had that reaction. I suppose. Yeah. No. It's. It's incredible. It's <laughs> amazing. But I I saw on Instagram actually. I have that saw on Instagram. It's just my life at the moment. But <laughs> there, was little, there was this little <laughs> illustration um, that someone had uh, drawn, and it's it says the stages of grief, and basically it's um, like a massive massive bag, huge, and then it's like a bin bag, and then it's a rucksack, and then it's a big handbag, and then it's a tiny handbag, and it's all it's like showing that like. Mm. You, it will always be there and you'll always carry you'll it always but it yes. will get kind of smaller mm. and I thought obviously you you know it's still there isn't it definitely and actually I would say I mean it's interesting the idea of it being just a bag because I think sometimes it's like that feeling of grief is sometimes a kind of tiny diamond in a ring or a piece of grit in your shoe it's some it's sometimes something just very very tiny but very powerful and painful or beautiful, you know, it can also be incredibly beautiful. Mm -hmm. I was sitting in this restaurant with my son actually and this woman walked past and she had a pair of these coloured trousers on that are very similar to some that mum used to wear and it was just, mm -hmm. you know, I was very happy chatting away and it was suddenly as though she was almost there for an mm -hmm. instant and it's, it's, it's overwhelming and it's painful but it's also kind of incredibly beautiful that she can be conjured up so mm -hmm. quickly by that kind of sense of memory and I guess also you know there's that thing of something like a song is an obvious thing but like the way a smell can suddenly take you there really really yes, quickly smells. um yeah. so I think the bag analogy is a really good one but it's also sometimes it's something more kind of sensual as well that you sort of wrap around you mm. and a very good friend of mine before she died who I write about in the book said you wear your grief like a like a coat you know you kind of have it on you her, and she was talking about her mother who died and she said she's always there she's she's like an overcoat who's mm -hmm. a, you know who's kind of around me and she informs all the things that I do and um the way that I live my life and I suppose that's I I think that's that's what my mum does as well although then you sometimes find yourself trying to kind of break out and do your own thing as well mm -hmm. <laughs> and kind of you know create some some sense of of life but because the sort of pull of the past for me has been so strong the kind of lure of the my memory of this this sort of you know prelapse area and that's what it feels like when I look at the time up to the accident and then the accident happening it's almost like the fall suddenly happened you know mm. it was the pre 
um, the pre-full time before mum had the accident mm. and the lure of that you know I suppose that's like acute kind of nostalgia isn't it yeah but it's also and also it's about I think the passing of time and I find the passing of time totally fascinating because it's happening you were all saying the time. about the motherhood I totally find that interesting yeah and the way um time as you as you get older I'm 42 now it kind of changes changes speed and seems to sometimes change direction and having children completely changes has changed my conception of of time and what it is as a kind of commodity almost. I read something about about why that is recently and apparently it's because when you're small um, time is really really slow because your brain is taking in so much more new information so right. like when you're younger a week can seem like a year because ev- everything you're looking at is so big and so new and basically it's so depressing really because when you get older you d- your brain doesn't it's really need so to novelty. and so a day can go past in literally like yeah. that yeah um but i I, it makes sense kind of it does no and my youngest children are like five three and one and that thing of their delight with you know something really small like the puddles outside the house or the dough that's being kneaded for or the you know cake mixture or i found two of them lying under all the sheets on the bed and they were just completely lit up with excitement (laughs) and to try and allow yourself as a mother to enjoy that and not think oh come on hurry up you've got to get ready and get to school or whatever it is because we were really late it was this morning but their you know absolute pleasure it's kind of like a sensual physical emotional pleasure in it all is um as an adult I guess we're, we're kind of longing to achieve that aren't we well, I saw a little boy over the weekend in the um, park and he had a Sainsbury's carrier bag kind of under two arms, like mm. a cape. Oh, right, yeah. And he was just running around and he pure joy. Yeah. And I was like, God, we, we want all these things. And that little boy is just running around with a Sainsbury's bag on his back. And he's got... And he's, he's loving yeah, life. I know. Well, it is, it is... I suppose it is a bit of a... It's a bit of a cliche to say it, that you can learn it from small children, that idea of, you know, the joy of something incredibly normal... But um, it feels quite important as well. Although how to live it every day, I don't know. <laughs> so I think I, I think I read an article where you had said how much you loved being pregnant. I love giving birth. I'm one of those weird people who absolutely loves giving birth. And I genuinely, and it's one of the things I say in the book, if I could give birth this evening, I would. I think it's the most, you know, it is the most cosmic, extraordinary, epic thing to go through. And it sort of takes you... Um, you know, I think it takes you right to the brink of the the brink between life and death, I suppose. And what else does that? I mean, I've never done anything else that that mm-hmm. does that. That takes you to the place where you can you feel like you can see the other side. You don't go over the other side, but you are definitely kind of touching it in some way or another. And obviously, we hear so much about how birth is. Um, you know, it's often portrayed in a kind of like quite a disgusting way as this horrifying and disgusting and terrifying and undignified and bloody and um, which it is all of those things. I'm not saying it's not those things as well. And it is incredibly, you know, I had like the pain as a kind of massive, it felt like a sort of massive belt, metal belt of pain all around me. But um, but it's all it's so painful that it isn't it isn't really like pain you know it's a different kind of spiritual experience and um i feel you know very very privileged to have ex- you know to have experienced that and i'm really lucky to have had five really really good births but i think it's quite important um 
for women to talk about how it can be a great thing and it can be a really really positive experience because then you go into it you know you go into it with a positive frame of mind and of course you know who knows what's going to happen it it can't it doesn't always go according to plan but um kind of communicating the fact that it that it that it is this you know this incredible trip i suppose mm-hmm. that's what it feels like and i didn't yeah. yeah i did enjoy i did enjoy giving um i really enjoyed giving birth i enjoyed pregnancy and then you know i've but then i've i've had postnatal depression it's not as though mm-hmm. in any way it's all been a kind of bed of roses i find motherhood i've got five children but i find it really 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 mm-hmm. difficult yeah but i think things like instagram is definitely opening it up mm-hmm. and there are some incredible um instagram feeds you know with in- amazing pictures of w- women giving birth mm-hmm. and that's um I, mean, I only have to look at those to start start crying almost immediately <laughs> um mm-hmm. but i'm now and also i'm now i want i mean i want to write about um motherhood that's that's what i'm kind of moving on to for the next book um because the emotion that you said that you enjoyed reading about in the wild other as well is is and the kind of honesty and the sort of extremity of the emotion i really want to explore motherhood in that way and i think that so much of motherhood is so sanitized and Mm -hmm. kind of um turned into a sort of retail experience Mm -hmm. as well Oh, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> Where can I pre-order it? <laughs> it's definitely really nice to um, start something new because, you know, you publish the book and then there's a kind of post-publication period where you feel very elated, but also kind of it's quite nerve-wracking in terms of what is next. And I knew that I had an idea that I wanted to write about, but I had to kind of develop it for a lot of last year. And I also had after just before the book was born, my babe, my youngest child was born, and then the and then the book was finished. And um, so I didn't have very much kind of breathing space, mm. particularly. And I was doing all the promotion stuff with a with a young baby. Mm. And so I needed, you know, I needed kind of some headspace to to think about, think deeply, and feel deeply about something else. Mm-hmm. But it's been, and I did a bit of journalism in between, which was quite good fun as well to kind of, you know, the fast turnover of journalism after you've done a book is quite gratifying mm. as well. It's quite nice to just have a piece out quickly. But now sinking back into another big big topic Mm. which hopefully will you know speak really loudly to to lots of women and you know hopefully not just to mothers because the book is the this new book that I'm writing is also is not really about it's about motherhood but it's about women rather than children but what happens to women Mm. throughout the journey of pregnancy you know through through children what what that really feels like and what happens to you and these kind of different extremes that it takes you on and why motherhood is so so extraordinary and so beautiful but so so difficult Mm. (laughs) um and so challenging and you know and has kind of made me in the course of a single day well make me feel extreme gratitude and love but also complete and utter despair Mm -hmm. and boredom and um frustration at the same time and I want to I really want to go into that sort of that journey Mm. oh that's going to be amazing it's it's (laughs) just so it's great as well like how you do seem to you do find like beauty in so many things 
Well, I suppose it's in in um, in normal life, you know, in normal life. It's a bit like I suppose the child with the you know with the Sainsbury's bag <laughs> on his on his back. And in a way, actually, spending lots of time with small children because you do end up doing lots of quite mundane stuff as well, of having to make pasta for them again or take them to the park or put their shoes on. And I mean, God, the the amount of time I spend looking for shoes in my house <laughs> is just. Um, is quite deranging actually but so trying to sort of kind of reconcile yourself to it as well and yeah. find some you know sort of interesting meaning in the mundane I do really I love that feeling of um, when I know that things are working creatively I can be taking one of the kids to the park or um, you know driving to the shop or whatever and I will be making connections in my head about something that mm. I'm going to write about some way that I'm going to express it and communicate mm. you know kind of the feeling of it um, and those are connections that you can't plan them they are just mm. a sort of part of the creative process which do you write things really down exciting. like immediately because I always do that thing before I go to bed I'm like oh amazing idea or like a sentence and then I go to sleep and I'm and like I'll definitely remember, remember it, it. you can no. Never ever remember it. I know, and, and I've lain there thinking I can't be bothered to get up and get my phone or find a notepad. But I will remember it. And I'll remember it by it's thinking about it. So good, I will remember it. Yeah, and then it's completely gone. And I think that writing things down, like even if it's just three words, a little mm-hmm. fragment of an idea, is just so so important creatively. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like long paragraphs. It doesn't even have to be sentences. But just just the ideas. Mm-hmm. Those are complete gold dust. Yeah. And I'm trying to get. I bought this little notebook. I'm trying. You know how you can end up like holding your phone for the whole day and mm-hmm. carrying it to the loo with you and yeah. <laughs> into the supermarket and wherever you go. I've been trying to like keep this notebook bound up in a sort of piece of elastic with my phone so that literally <laughs> wherever I am I can try and you know That's write write the thoughts down yeah. sitting down with one of your books is like it is an experience mm, you, have that's to, really you get nice really to into hear. it that's so. really really nice to I'm hear very excited. Really but brilliant. I'm going to end it there thank you so so much thank you it's so lovely lovely talking thank you. to you